Vindictiness. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. The hunger of a dragon is slow to wake, but hard to sate. Welcome to Dragons, the 202nd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of American novelist Ursula K. Le Guin. You may call me Ode. May I meet? My name is... Did you say Ode or Gwyn? I think I said Ode. I'll say it again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gwyn. <laughs> you may call me Ode. I'm probably... You probably did it right, but my, my brain is like, wait, what? Anyway, Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn. I'm okay. Ode's mother. <laughs> I thought we gotten through that. Holy shit. <laughs> See? Elle did the same thing. I think you said Maybe Gwyn. I said Gwyn. I, I don't know. I think you said Gwyn. We'll roll back you the tapes. You stole my name. We'll, we'll roll back the tapes <laughs> and find out. You know what? It's probably because you said Ursula Le Guin. Probably. That. Yep. Yep. So either, so because I said Ursula K. Le Guin, either I then followed up saying Gwyn or y'all heard me say Gwyn because I had just said K. That's Le Guin. That's what it is. It's gotta be. Mm-hmm. We just got a messy intro today. We just it's got fine. a messy intro. It's perfect. <laughs> it's dragons. It is. Dragons is chaos. We're looking, and we're looking forward to this episode. Yes, I think we it's are. gonna be fun. But first, housekeeping. Gotta start with housekeeping. So mm-hmm. we uh, have an announcement to make about an update to our Patreon. Yep. It's not going to come into force until November, but we want to let y'all know that it's coming. Mm-hmm. So we've, as as we've mentioned before, we've been working on ways to make our Patreon sort of more appealing and more worth your time and your money. Mm-hmm. So we were looking at the cats tier, and currently all the cats really get is that their names are read during the monthly reading of the names. That's right. And that's what distinguishes them from kittens, who are the $1 tier, who just don't get anything. They just give us a dollar because they love us. And they give a, we give them our love. <laughs> yes, we give them our love and affection. Because mm-hmm. um, they're kittens. Because they're adorable. But so we wanted to see if we could come up with something that we could add to the cats tier to make it more worth people's time. And so we thought about, and Gwen came up with this. I did. I came up with this. It's, this she, is my she, idea. She had this, this brainwave, which was brilliant. I did. So, I was very excited about this. So we're always struggling to come up with um, rewards we can offer that aren't like massive time sinks for us mm-hmm. and that are things which are sort of on brand and also things that we want to do and something we've been wanting to get back into doing but just haven't really found a good way or time to do it is to get back into doing reviews mm-hmm. so starting in november because october we're moving and things are going to yes. be very uh Chaotic. Up in the air. but starting in november we're going to start doing a monthly review episode it's going to be unedited it's probably going to be video mm-hmm. um, and it's going to be exclusive to the patreon It's going to go up on the Patreon and anyone at the CATS level or above, which is the $5 support level or above, will be able to have access to these review episodes where we're going to review stuff that we've read or products we've been experimenting with or Mm -hmm. stuff like that from the pagan scene. Or a really cool, like if there's a... Like a class we go to. Any of those kinds of things. So once a month, starting in November, we'll be doing review episodes unedited that are going to go up on the Patreon and will be available to CATS tier and above. That's right. We hope you enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And then it'll... The other thing is that I know... So we used to do reviews in the middle of episodes. Right. And right. I know it's been really difficult for people who are trying to find our reviews of stuff that we've done in the past to figure out what episode we reviewed something we in. we don't know either. we have no earthly idea. We didn't record these things. Nope. So hopefully this will, doing reviews this way will also make them easier to find when you're looking for a review of something because mm-hmm. they'll, from now on, all be up on the Patreon. Yep, exactly. So we're excited about that new perk mm-hmm. and we hope you will be too. All right. That's it for housekeeping. Yes. Okay. So Pretty we are sure. house kept and house swept. And now it is time for the Dragons episode. Durant, durant. <laughs> Which uh, Gwen and I have been looking forward to because this is just a fun topic. It is. Dragons are fun. With a lot to cover. So, um, A lot to cover. During the sneak peek for this on the Patreon, which is for Hunters and Up, we did have a request to basically do two episodes mm-hmm. uh, for dragons. To do this episode for the research on dragons. Mm-hmm. And then to do a storytelling episode for dragons. So we are going to do that some point in the future there's going to be a storytelling episode dedicated to stories about dragons that's right which we're looking forward to that too yes because there's so many stories about dragons there are where dragons feature prominently and dragons are fun Mm -hmm. and spooky and scary and powerful and amazing yes and many things which we will cover today but uh, so we're going to start with the research episode on dragons the originally planned episode for dragons that's right i was looking at like the variants in dragons and there's Mm -hmm. a huge oh it's huge variants and dragons but I, I i was trying to like narrow down to like what's your most basic essential mm-hmm. dragon what's the primary characteristic of a dragon and the only thing i could come up with was 
is a real big lizard. Yeah, real big. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing is, like, during uh, during my research, and I'm sure during yours, mm-hmm. the thing that we discovered is, A, they're worldwide. Mm-hmm. Pretty, you know, every culture and has... And a variety of forms. And a variety of forms. I should really clarify, even, because they're not all even big lizards. Yeah. Sometimes they're little they're lizards. They're little. A lot of times, what they look like or how they are mm-hmm. depends on the... The culture or the region. Mm-hmm. So your beliefs will vary by region. But typically, if we're going to break it down to Western cultures, tend to, uh, especially since the high Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And um, by Western cultures here, we really mean like Europe and colonized, I guess, Americas. Mm-hmm. Dragons are depicted as winged, horned, four-legged, and often fire-breathing. Mm-hmm. That tends to be kind of the the basis, especially, again, since the High Middle Ages. Yeah, that's but, the European and European-derived Yeah, dragon. but dragons have a much longer history than that, especially in the Eastern cultures. It's just amazing how far back they go. There were even depictions of dragons, like, in the Bronze Age, mm-hmm. as well as the um, Paleo. Yeah, so there's a talisman from ancient, ancient China from like Paleolithic China Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. carved out of jade that they think is one of the earliest depictions of a dragon. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's, and it's very like simple. It's basically just like a C-shaped curve of jade with some little wings Mm -hmm, coming off of it. But mm -hmm. they think that's the earliest interpretation of a dragon image. And Eastern cults, they tend to be wingless, although sometimes they have little wings. Sometimes they have little wings, yes. Four-legged, serpentine, and a lot of times they have above average intelligence. Mm-hmm. I think the the big thing with dragons that I finally settled on for like, you can't really define necessarily what is the, the prototypical dragon because right. there is so much variety. I think it's like obscenity where it's, you know it when you see it. <laughs> right, right. But the thing I thought was interesting is like Mesopotamia had dragons. Egypt had dragons. You know, and like we were saying, the mm-hmm. Bronze Age and the Neolithic Age, they yeah. were represented. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that, you know, the, there are scholars who have different interpretations right. and different, different guesses. guesses as to why dragons are, are just present in all over the in world. In so many cultures. In so many cultures. And very similar. They they mm-hmm. have similarities between Even when all they of have, them. Like you've got Quetzalcoatl in mm-hmm. South America, right. which is like a feathered winged serpent. Right. And then you've got the more reptilian mm-hmm. dragon from Europe mm-hmm. and you've got this the specifically sort of water aligned mm-hmm. sort of sea there are these vast ranges of mm-hmm. not just like interpretation of like what a dragon's purpose is but what a dragon looks like mm-hmm. but they all very much like have the dragon vibe yes they do they they can a lot of them are serpentine a mm-hmm. lot of them has lizard like qualities mm-hmm. although some or, of them are generally reptilian or generally reptilian although some of them do have feathers many of them have wings or if they don't have wings they can still fly mm-hmm. magically they have magic yeah the the chinese dragons in particular the the lung don't have wings traditionally mm-hmm. but they do fly and just sort of slither around in the air. Yeah, undulate Mm -hmm. through the wind. Yep. They believe a couple of different things. One scholar believes it's because ancients, you know, the ancient peoples Mm -hmm. found dinosaur bones. Right, that they excavated fossils, Mm -hmm. essentially. And in trying to figure out what these were, Mm -hmm. they invented dragons. And it could also be like, you know, there were some uh, very, very large that are now extinct. Mm -hmm. Crocodiles would be land-based as Mm -hmm. well as swamp-based. Yeah, semi-aquatic. Semi-aquatic creatures that ancient peoples would run into in the forest or in the Mm swamplands that could have also have taken part of creating the mythology Mm -hmm. of a dragon. One scholar who believes it could be be an ancient ingrained fear of snakes right or just reptiles in general i suppose right. but the fear of, of of a snake in the dark in the water now this actually there's there's actually an interesting correlation here cultures that were in areas where there were lots of large dangerous snakes mm-hmm. and you had to genuinely be concerned mm-hmm. about like dying to a snake right tended to have more destructive or malevolent or evil dragons Mm -hmm. and cultures where snakes were seen more as symbols of creation or transformation or health Mm -hmm. tended to have more positive or benevolent dragons. For instance, in Japanese culture, dragons are mostly good fortune, good luck. They have a, a very benevolent kind of air to them. Mm -hmm. Many East Asian deities are depicted riding dragons 
or have dragons as companions. Mm -hmm. And dragons also, for instance, in the Chinese culture, it represented the power of the emperor. Yeah, it was the imperial symbol for a long time. The act so actually the, the Ling dragon is no longer the symbol of China, of the mm -hmm. People's Republic of China, but it is still such a prevalent cultural symbol that mm -hmm. like even into the modern day, some Chinese people call themselves descendants of the dragons. Mm -hmm. It's a very common symbol in a lot of their, their folk traditions. Well, there are still festivals that mm -hmm. celebrate dragons, the Spring Festival and the Lantern Festival. And my understanding is the original purpose of those festivals was part of that dragon dance where they, they dance around in that serpentine mm -hmm. way through the parade was to bring good luck, good harvest, good weather for you know yeah, for so, the for the coming season. Yeah, so in China, dragons were almost universally except for a few very specific like divine dragons who had like specific cosmological roles. Mm -hmm. Most dragons were accepted to be like the rulers of weather mm -hmm. and of the realm of water. Mm -hmm. So dragons in China, although we think of them as being sort of very air-aligned creatures, mm -hmm. because you see them in the sky, in ancient China were, like, specifically water spirits. Mm -hmm. And they could cause floods, or they could bring rain, mm -hmm. or... And so, like, how you interacted with a dragon could dramatically impact mm -hmm. um, the weather in your environment and how likely you were to drown. Right. So that's why they would honor dragons and the spirit of dragons mm -hmm. with these lavish parades and decorations and and again you still see these gorgeous dragon mm -hmm. masks and and those long serpentine dragons that are yeah that the dragon the, sort of puppet thing yeah that, that, that snakes through a parade or a exactly festival. Yeah. and there's the that's the dragon dance yep. and it's it's really beautiful to behold mm -hmm. it's, it's something special yeah i've never seen one in person but just watching like footage of them is fascinating years ago when I was um, friends with someone who had adopted a child, I went to a festival of cultures mm -hmm. that her son was partaking in, and they had Chinese students mm -hmm. to honor the their Chinese culture. Mm -hmm. They had some people come do in a, a, and a do dance. with the whole the whole outfit and the dragon, and they they did a be this beautiful dragon dance, and they had the drums and everything. It was very cool. I can imagine. Yeah, it was very cool. <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> If you ever get a chance to see one or at least watch a recording of one, yeah. it's definitely something to behold. So a little bit of trivia. The 2008 Olympics that were held in China, in I think in Beijing? Yeah. I think the 2008 Olympics were in Beijing, but they were in China somewhere. There was actually, like originally, the Chinese Olympics Committee thought about using a dragon as their representative symbol for, for the Olympics for, for China. But they opted against it because they had done some cultural research and found that in Western cultures, dragons were scary. often scary or evil, mm -hmm. and they didn't want to alienate Western athletes. Isn't that interesting? Uh-huh. That's so interesting. Dragons, as we said, are worldwide mm -hmm. with a wide variety of meanings attached to them. And yes, in the Western culture, dragons do tend to be more frightening. They tend to, you know, they're the ones that are, are connected to hordes of gold and treasure mm -hmm. and fighting uh, the, against the knights, the knights going to kill them, like St. George. specifically. You know. Yeah, so in Christianized Europe especially, dragons came to represent apostasy, yep. mm -hmm. uh, heresy, and paganism. So St. George... <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, so St. George slaying the dragon was specifically supposed to be sort of representative of St. George's heroic conquering of evil pagan beliefs. Well, think of it this way. One of the symbols of Satan or the devil mm -hmm. is... A dragon. He's yeah. depicted as a great dragon. Dragons go way, 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 way back. For instance, I was saying that Egypt had their own dragon mm -hmm. lore. Apep or Apophis yep. was uh, a giant serpentine creature who lived in the Egyptian underworld. There was an ancient papyrus from approximately 310 BCE that tells of how the sun setting mm -hmm. meant that Ra was descending into to the underworld Apep. to fight Apep. But there was another dragon who was in the underworld mm -hmm. who actually assisted Ra yeah. in, in fighting Apep. It's, you know, so it's very, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Loop Guru asks, now I wonder about the indigenous people of Australia and knowing the Komodo dragon exists, are dragons present in their lore? So... Yeah. 
in indigenous Australian mythology, there is the rainbow serpent. Mm -hmm. It's not related to the Komodo dragon, to my knowledge, but the rainbow serpent is the immortal creator being of the universe and is associated with rainbows and snakes and mm -hmm. is a dragon, yeah, effectively. Like, is, is, effectively. <laughs> yes, they do have a dragon. And a very not, important one. A very important one. Speaking of the Ouroboros, that is, again, an Egyptian mm -hmm. depiction of a dragon, a serpent, a great serpent that is basically eating its tail. Yeah, and it's also the only positive dragon presentation that was present at, really at all in medieval Europe. Because mm -hmm. um, it was a, it was brought over into medieval Europe by alchemists. Yeah, and this is the interesting thing. A depiction, uh, the earliest depiction of the Ouroboros, the, the great serpent dragon, mm -hmm was from the gilded shrines of Tutankhamun's tomb. Ooh. Mm -hmm. They think actually the original, like the, or maybe not the original, but certainly the oldest, like recorded definitely dragon mm -hmm. mythologies are actually from ancient Persia mm -hmm. and the Middle East. Herodotus, actually. <laughs> so obviously everything Herodotus ever wrote, you have to take with a grain of salt. Right. But uh, Herodotus visited Judea and wrote about having been told that there were tiny flying dragons there. Okay. <laughs> and he wrote that he saw the bones of an ancient giant dragon. See, Which means he almost certainly, like, was brought to mm -hmm. a fossil excavation of some kind. That brings me to what I learned about dragons in, you know, like Mesopotamia mm -hmm. And, of course, I already told you about the Egyptian mythology of mm -hmm. Apep. But Leviathan is a Hebrew version of a dragon. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, it doesn't surprise me that Herodotus would say that he was shown mm -hmm. the, the bones, the of, bones a great of a great dragon. Because think about it. Even Michigan had its uh, mastodon long past those ages when dinosaurs ruled the earth. So there's actually a town in Germany that had a story about a lindworm. Mm -hmm. So a lindworm is a specific kind of dragon. It's a. It's usually described as the worm dragon. It's a big snaky reptile, usually transformed from a human being. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have. Usually doesn't have any limbs. Doesn't have any wings sometimes spits like poison instead of breathing fire. Mm -hmm. This town in Germany had this tale of the Lindworm and that the Lindworm had been de defeated at some point in the past and they had what was supposedly the Lindworm's skull mm -hmm. on display in town. It was a woolly rhino fossil. Okay. It was the fossilized skull of a woolly rhinoceros. Oh my gosh. See, and that's the thing, is that we have these giant creatures mm -hmm. who ancient peoples might not have recognized, recognized or known because they, they died out long mm -hmm. before they populated that area. Mm -hmm. Millions of years before. So that's why you have things like the lindworm mm -hmm. and... The, the Leviathan, which I believe was an aquatic kind of serpent mm -hmm. dragon. Well, that's I think that's how we usually use it now. I don't think it was actually specific. I don't think it was actually That's true. Clarified. Maybe, maybe Leviathan the, was the, the one that had the tail like a cedar. It may have been a land Yeah, I think beast. so. I, I, think, I think the modern scholarship is actually that Leviathan was probably like a like a description of a fossil that, that someone had mm -hmm. found of like a brachiosaur. Yeah, yeah. But like even in like in France or Gaul, mm -hmm. they had their own version of a dragon. I can't pronounce how it was, but it was like Grand Gaul. There was the Python, the Leyden, the Wyvern, and the Kolchedra in Albanian mythology. Mm -hmm. Of course, the Hydra yeah. in Greek. The Hydra's a dragon. That's a dragon. You know, it's <laughs> don't, a don't let anybody tell you different. It's a many-headed dragon mm -hmm. that you know. But that's actually common in, in several. Um, so there's a, a Russian or a, a Ukrainian mm -hmm. dragon being called a Zui, I think, mm -hmm. um, which also has multiple heads and which you have to cauterize the, the stump of the neck with fire or the mm -hmm. head will grow back. Mm -hmm. Well, and think about snakes. Mm -hmm. When they when you cut off the head of the snake, it sort of thrashes it around. It thrashes around, so that could definitely be lend to this mm -hmm. concept, this mythology. Like, oh, it's not really dead. It's not really dead. It could, it could grow back mm -hmm. ahead, you know, and set it on fire. <laughs> exactly. And then you've also got a dragon in Beowulf. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everyone forgets that. Beowulf doesn't end when Grendel dies. No. It goes like it carries on and there is a dragon at the there end. There is a dragon. And uh, of course, the Norse mythology. Jorm Jormungandr and So there are three major 
dragons in Norse mythology. Yeah. They are all the serpentine kind, as far as we're aware. Mm-hmm. So there's Jormungandr, who is the world serpent. Mm-hmm. Which who, again makes me think of the aboriginal. Yeah, the, 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 rainbow, the rainbow serpent. serpent. Yeah, so Jormungandr encircles the world mm-hmm. um, and is thought to, to sort of... The theory is that Jormungandr is so big that he is in every sea, mm-hmm. that he's in every ocean. Every body of water that has a connection has, like, Jormungandr is snaking through it. Mm-hmm. There is also Fafnir. Mm-hmm. Fafnir is a, a a more sort of traditional dragon who is actually transformed from a human being because he kills his father to acquire his treasure. Mm. And that greed in his heart transforms him into a dragon who guards that treasure. And then later Sigurd slays Fafnir. And that's a, that is a very typical trope in Western mm-hmm. mythology when it comes to dragons and their treasure and guarding their caves. This is actually, this is, so this is actually a connection between Tolkien's like Smaug Mm-hmm. And the Norse mythology, where we know he drew a lot of his inspiration from, mm-hmm. is that Fafnir, probably the most famous, like, specifically dragon mm-hmm. in Norse mythology, is specifically a man who is transformed for his greed. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably why Tolkien's dragons are such greedy, gold-hungry creatures. And C.S. Lewis used that same uh, mythology. In The Voyage of the Dawn in Treader? the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yep. Eustace, that's how he begins yeah. to become a better boy, mm-hmm. is because of his he gets, experience he gets of transformed into, into a dragon. Dragon, by then, by his greedy dragonish thoughts. Exactly, exactly. Yes. And then he's restored to humanity and becomes better. Mm-hmm. Fafnir, and then there is Nidhogger. Often forgotten, Nidhogger is a dragon or serpent that is at the entangled in the roots of Yggdrasil mm. and is gnawing on the roots of the world tree and on the corpses of specific kinds of evil dead men. Oh, um, And there's actually a dispute. So in the, the Poetic Edda, there's a stanza about mm. Nidhogr abandoning its posts beneath the world tree at Ragnarok, sort of advancing ahead of Ragnarok to the world of men. Mm-hmm. And there's a dispute in the translation about whether this is Nidhogr advancing into the world of men to bring ruin Mm-hmm. Because Nithogar has this very sinister reputation because it's associated with the dead and it, mm-hmm. you know. Or if Nithogar is advancing into the world of men in advance of Ragnarok to escape the destruction of Ragnarok and be transformed into a into a, a good being in the post-Ragnarok, oh. like a phoenix, like rising out Rising of from the ashes. Becoming, yeah, transforming from this this malicious serpent into this new redeemed being. Interesting. Yeah. So there's there's disputes about exactly how that language has been translated. So that's mm-hmm. this is an unclear subject. But very cool. But we don't have a lot about Nithogar, but I think that's really an interesting aspect of Norse dragon mythology that is not discussed enough. Join our Tiger Crystal at Apothecary Teas. This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that delight all the senses with handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green. This week, Ode suggests forest chai with a blend of Douglas fir needles, white oak bark, cinnamon, juniper, anise, and nutmeg. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. Good reads. Thank you. Light things on fire. Light things on fire. Or not. It won't let me. Hail Dictinus. (laughs) There we go. There we go. That's what it is. Gotta do your hails. Oh my gosh. do your hails. I did want to jump back just a little bit because you had mentioned commonalities, Mm -hmm. you know, and we mentioned they're very Uh lizard-like. Usually. Usually. There's, uh, you know, there can be a serpentine mm-hmm. kind of quality, even to the lizardy ones. They can, yeah. and with the wings and the legs. They yeah, can they'll have a, like these long necks. Yeah. And, yeah. But they're also, some of the commonalities are a hybridization of feline, avian, and reptilian features. Yeah, so there are actually some dragons who are described as having fur because mm-hmm. they're described as being lion-like. Mm-hmm. Well, and think of uh, how to train your dragon. Yes. <laughs> Right? <laughs> and I love the depiction of, of Toothless mm-hmm. because they patterned him after a cat. Mm-hmm. Right? Cat-like. And very cat-like very behaviors. Cat-like. If you've ever lived with a cat. 
exactly. And but the thing is, they're not that far off because if you look at the mythology, mm-hmm. there are feline qualities mm-hmm. to to many of these different dragons. There is sort of a an interesting uh, gradient in like dragonish behavior from like a feral or an animalistic dragon. Mm-hmm to a sentient dragon that is like essentially man-like in intelligence mm-hmm. to a, like a, a highly spiritual wise mm-hmm. dragon that is like divine in some way. And so you see this huge range in how dragons are portrayed, even within societies that like, so it's not like in Europe where the dragon is usually malevolent is mm-hmm. also where the dragon is usually animalistic or, or feral or, or subhuman. Mm-hmm. Because you do see dragons in those cultures and in those stories that sometimes do have human-like intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting. I don't know if this qualifies, but Mm -hmm. this, I was thinking of Denwin, who is a serpent mentioned in the pyramid texts. Mm -hmm. His body was made of fire and he ignited a conflagration Uh that nearly destroyed the Egyptian pantheon, but he was ultimately defeated by Pharaoh Mm -hmm. and became the symbol of Pharaoh's power. So the pharaohs, like, conquered and tamed mm-hmm. the fire dragon. The fire dragon, exactly. Mm. Was it an evil dragon? Or or was this just its nature? Or was it its nature? Yeah. And, and it an, just needed to be I mean, it was made of or fire. Refined. Yeah. It was made of fire, so it needed, you know... It, it needed to be tamed. It needed to be tamed, and that is what pharaoh ultimately did. Mm-hmm. And that is how pharaoh became a lineage of, of kings. Mm-hmm. In, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. That was their divine right. They proved because themselves. Because they, they had tamed, yeah, right. the fire. They had tamed the fire, the source of fire, mm-hmm. as it were. They say the elements, they're all represented by a dragon. I was thinking about that, yeah. I was So I said earlier that we mostly think of dragons as being sort of air creatures because of the mm-hmm. wings and the flying. But they are mm-hmm. associated with every single every element. Every single element. Because they're creatures of Earth. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, in fact, sometimes they're like composite creatures of Earth. They're right. sort of chimerical. Well, they're creatures and... of fire because they have this fire associated, which I right. do wonder if the fire breathing thing comes from the Egyptian, this Egyptian, this Egyptian mythology, mythology first. It like wouldn't if, surprise like me. Like if it filtered out from there. Yeah. They have the air association, obviously, for the flying and the, the wings flying. and all that. And the water. And then they have the water association through, especially the Chinese affiliation but also through the various sea serpents and things. Mm-hmm. So like dragons, different dragons hit every single elemental exactly. alignment. Well, like there's another Egyptian dragon whose name was Nehebku. It is said he was so large mm-hmm. that the entire world rests on his scales. Yeah, or, or within the coils. Or within of, the coils yeah. of, you know, it's the same thing with Jormungandr, mm-hmm. you know. So there's this quality or this understanding in multiple cultures, mm-hmm. it sounds like, of a dragon so large that that it, that it basically it it uh, holds up the world. Yeah, it enfolds. It the enfolds world. the world. Yeah. Rhiannon Gray says, "I almost forgot. For Greek dragons, there's Python, the dragon Apollo killed at Delphi. Mm-hmm. Python was said to live in the center of the earth and was a child of Gaia. Yeah, dragons, the ultimate yeah, <laughs> creature. Because they're in all these different places, and that's where the scholars who believe, well, maybe it's this kind of this ancient fear mm-hmm. that you know, and then of course discovering it could be a combination. I think it's a combination. Of I think it's a lot of factors, kind of the yeah. inherent fear of very large." creatures and snakes snakes and, and especially and in like egypt they had crocodiles yeah they had <laughs> crocodiles and so and you find these creatures or this these dangers mm-hmm. where do you find them in caves in water uh-huh. in deep wells so i was thinking about the the evolution intelligence stages of various dragons right mm-hmm. the the sort of subhuman human superhuman intelligence levels mm-hmm. i think it's chinese it's, it might be Japanese. It's somewhere Asian. Mm-hmm. There is a mythology about like sometimes certain fish through various feats and trials and living long enough can transform into dragons. And so there's like the, there's like an evolutionary process you can go through mm-hmm. as a dragon, like to become a dragon to and then a as dragon. a dragon to like rank up to be a better and better dragon. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's sort of like the dragon vibe is like dragons are perpetual improvements. Maybe. Like maybe you start as a animalistic sort of subhuman oh, intelligence yeah. dragon and you like rank you up rank over time up. to a more and more intelligent, wiser, more divine dragon. Depending on the culture that oh, yeah. where you're at yep. and their understanding. I did want to point out that Elle has vindicated me with the flying snakes. Yes, not even just like 
the snakes that like the arboreal snakes. Right. So there are flying serpents in South American mythology. Mm-hmm. Feathered serpents. Right. Quetzalcoatl is the serpent god, but there are like lesser spirits or beings. Yeah. Lesser flying serpents. And they think actually that those were inspired by, there's a kind of bird in that area that has a really long, flowing, oh. colorful tail. Mm-hmm. And so they think these creatures were at least in part inspired by people seeing these birds fucking zipping mm-hmm. through the, the canopy mm-hmm. and just seeing the long tail floofing along. Probably undulating uh-huh. and yeah. swooping. In, in snaky fashion. Yeah, in snaky fashion. Yep. Ran and Gray says, Dragon is just a base level of creature that you can find in practically every place at every time. Damn near every culture has a dragon, like damn near every culture has a big flood story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, so these things are, like, obviously from a like an anthropological or like a historical perspective, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see, like, oh, how did cultures develop these beings? But I do think there's an underlying sort of spiritual truth mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. Like, not necessarily like, oh, there is a big dragon spirit that looks a specific way no. and is contacting every person on Earth. But I do think there's there's something about this kind of being. This energy. This energy that we are all across the world, like, tapping into and trying to mm-hmm. understand and express. I don't know what that is necessarily, but I do think, like, in the same way, that clearly humans across cultures are trying to express something significant about our, our lives and our experiences with Big Flood Story. I think mm-hmm. we are in some way trying to express something about like uh, something about a, a spiritual dragon energy. Mm-hmm. And also maybe just the, like you were saying, the growth of human beings as well mm-hmm. it, through the growth of these creatures. Yeah, Rhiannon and Grace says, it's a pretty big fucking thing to just be a coincidence. Right? Yeah. Exactly. It could just be convergent evolution. I mean, that's a thing. Sometimes people just all come up right. with the same idea at the same time. But even when that happens, I like as a spiritual person, I believe there's got to be a connection there's there somewhere. Something underlying that on mm-hmm. a spiritual level or an unconscious level that mm-hmm. we're all sort of tapping into and just trying to express mm-hmm. in different forms and fashions. And the fact that there are these commonalities, this this reptilian serpentine mm-hmm. flies in some form or fashion. Yeah. Great and awesome and terrible to behold. Exactly. Whether it is benevolent or malevolent, it is power. It is like power and it is embodied. Exactly. And it can feel threatening or it can feel protective. Mm-hmm. Depending it, on your depending relationship Depending on your to relationship. It. Well, and I, I do wonder if like, because we know in Europe especially in Christianized Europe, the mm-hmm. dragon came to specifically represent heresy and apostasy and, and the and, devil and, and the devil and pagan beliefs. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if, I mean, the reason the dragon is a malevolent force in Europe is because Europe was so profoundly Christianized mm-hmm. and it, Christianity doesn't have space for anything but its already extant, mm-hmm. all-powerful creator. There's no space in that framework for mm-hmm. another power being. That's right. Whereas in the Eastern cultures, there's room for these wise, powerful creatures mm-hmm. that represent the emperor, that represent... Or natural forces. Natural forces or, that represent good fortune or... Or just the people, the like people. the spirit of the people. Yeah, exactly. You don't really see Western cultures celebrating dragons. No. What you see I, you is s- them celebrating the knights who you slay see, yeah, the dragon. You see celebration of, of dragon slaughter. Yeah, yeah. You see the, the celebration of overcoming the darkness, mm-hmm. overcoming the fear, or overcoming the evil, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, think that does come from a Christian context. Yeah, well, and I mean, in a lot, like there are literally adages about how you know you have to slay your dragons. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> like, so I watched The Bachelorette, one of the seasons of The Bachelorette, <laughs> with my with my girlfriend a couple of months ago. And we watched a season that had, like, a real dipshit on it. And when that guy was finally kicked off, all of the other guys in the house started calling the guy who had gotten him kicked off the Dragon Slayer. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because, again, in in Western culture, you know, Mm -hmm. dragons are a scary thing. Yeah, well, and and slaying a dragon is, like, an ultimate test of courage. Yes, it is. It is an ultimate test of of courage. And of nobility. And I do wonder also if that's sort of a difference in sort of cultural perspective. Mm -hmm. Eastern, especially Asian Mm -hmm. cultures, there's more of an emphasis on, like, familial unity, Mm -hmm. collectivism, Mm -hmm. conformance to uh, established wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so the dragon, as this powerful figure is seen as a figure to revere and respect. Mm -hmm. Whereas in 
Western, especially European culture, mm-hmm. where there's this this higher emphasis on individualism mm-hmm. and on self-improvement and on conquering, mm-hmm. literally just on conquering. I wonder if we see this powerful figure and think that's something I can yeah. personally defeat. Mm-hmm. The ancient Egyptian uh, mythologies and the Greek mythologies and, and, and even the, the Norse mythologies, they were conquering these dragons. Fafnir is slain right. um, by Sigurd, but that's because he's like a specifically evil mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Like he turns into a dragon because it's he because sucks. Because he's evil. <laughs> um, but because he sucks, he turns into a It was a, a punishment. Yeah. But like, well, it wasn't even so much a punishment as it was just like a that n- it, the natural... What his heart created yeah, him to be. Exactly. It was, the, it was the outward representation of who he truly was. Of who was. he was in, yeah, yeah, in, his, inside. in his soul. Yeah. But like, Jormungandr and Nithogr are sort of accepted as just facts of nature. Like, mm. they're not evil. They're just, they are what they, they are. They just are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, in some ways, Nithogr is actually like a punishment that is leveled on the, mm-hmm. on like the evil dead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Nithogr chews on and sucks the blood of like rapists and murderers. Right, right. Like the lowest and most vile. So Nith is actually a specific word in um, Old Norse and it means ostracization, mm-hmm. social stigma, nothingness, mm-hmm. to, to be cast out of society. Mm-hmm. And Hugger is striker or devourer. So Nithogr is literally like the one who strikes the outcast. Mm-hmm. So like an outcast was someone who had been, it was an outlaw. Right. Someone who had been removed from the legal system and who you could kill without repercussion because they were such a vile person. Right, right. So Nithogar's role was essentially like as a divine punishment. Right, right. So whether Nithogar is itself evil mm-hmm. is is not as clear as the fact that it is a judgment on evilness. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So, like, the dragon in Norse mythology, although it's... I mean, it's not its not usually positive to, to see a dragon. Right. Like, it means something's gone wrong. Mm-hmm. But the dragon is a judgment levied upon evil okay. rather than an evil itself. Interesting. You know, the one thing that you haven't discussed, which I'm really kind of surprised... What? The etymology of the word. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's because it's messy. It is messy. And... <laughs> The crazy thing, or the interesting thing, however Mm -hmm. you want to look at it, is everybody's, all these different cultures, their word for dragon essentially means the same thing. It's weird. It's weird. So, like, the word dragon that we use now comes from the Greek drakon, Mm -hmm. but, like, there were, like, culturally specific terms for Mm -hmm. these beings. And they always meant great serpent. Yeah. So, like, like in China, they're called the lung. Well, like, old French dragon comes from the Latin draconim, which means huge serpent, and is from the ancient Greek dracon. All of these different variations, like the Chinese, like like the Egyptian, like the Norse, they all essentially, it may be a slightly different word but it all means great serpent Mm -hmm. one of the things the commonalities of dragons is that as we've mentioned they represent they're represented in every element and every season Mm -hmm. are in storms thunder and lightning and can produce those things Mm -hmm. the chinese character for dragon comes from a proto-sino-tibetan character meaning thunder yeah, like the, the Egyptian dragons, like I think they said Apep was as long as the height of eight men with a head ma- made of flint. Mm-hmm. And thunderstorms and earthquakes were believed to be caused by his roar. Yeah, often in a lot of in a lot of cultures are associated with like adverse weather conditions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Dragons come into to play to, to explain some some natural yeah, well, phenomena. And, and they're often like closely tied in with cosmological events. Right. With like how the universe is ordered mm-hmm. is that dragons do it. <laughs> dragons do it. The world is on top of their scales, mm-hmm. you know. They're in the oceans. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about the the dragons that and the sea serpents. You know, what is a sea serpent? It's a kind of dragon. Yep. Some of those were probably inspired by fossil finds mm-hmm. of ancient, actual sea beasts, mm-hmm. like uh, plesiosaurs and, mm-hmm. and things like that, which were just big, big old long sea reptiles. Yep. Some of them were probably inspired by crocodiles and alligators, especially mm-hmm. when they used to get much, much bigger than they, they do now. They were much, much bigger. Though, like um, I said, there is an ancient, now extinct mm-hmm. crocodile that existed in Egypt. 
that um, people would come upon in forests and swamps. You know, some were probably inspired by like eels mm-hmm. and snakes and whales. Yeah. Um. Quite frankly, there are a lot of things in the sea today. Yeah. That I'm like, mm, that's I was basically a sea serpent. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's biggest got teeth that could kill me. It's slithers. It's slithers <laughs> in the water. That's it's it. It's a dragon. It's a, that's a dragon. It's a dragon. <laughs> I know some people like get like really finicky about like a dragon is only with four limbs and wings and. <laughs> And that's the thing, though, is it's not. No. There are commonalities. Yeah, dragon, it's a different kind of dragon. Yeah. I would say dragon is the umbrella term. Yeah. So, like, a wyvern is a specific kind, kind of, of dragon. dragon. Mm-hmm. A sea serpent is a specific kind of dragon. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A lung is a specific kind of dragon. Exactly. Exactly. But they all fall into that same category mm-hmm. because they have those commonalities. Those, those characteristics. Those they characteristics. have the vibe. They and they and have I say, the vibe. I, I really do think it's like the, the classic obscenity ruling of just, I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes down to the, the common dragon energy that we're all sort of tapping into here. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you know it's a dragon when you when you know it's a dragon exactly exactly and i think it's limiting if we say oh a dragon can only be this right must have these must specific... have these specific things when it's really the energy the quality and the mm-hmm. mythology that goes with it yeah you'll know a dragon when you see one exactly you won't have any doubts <laughs> so um i actually got distracted a little bit while i was doing research for this because i i ran into dragon's blood and a little bit of the mythology about dragon's oh, blood. dragon's blood i love working with dragon's blood because it represents it, it's meant to represent the energy okay. of the dragon so here's a little trivia for you about dragon's blood mm-hmm. it's been used since ancient ancient times ancient times but it's been different materials mm-hmm. so Originally, dragon's blood was supposed to be resin from a tree called Dracena cinnabari, Mm -hmm. but it was the Romans frequently would mistake mineral cinnabar Mm -hmm. for resin of Dracena cinnabari, which is a problem because mineral cinnabar is poisonous, and they were using dragon's blood as dyes, pigments, cure-all medicines, mm-hmm. um, in magic rituals, all kinds of things. So when the Romans were accidentally using mineral cinnabar instead of resinous cinnabar, things went badly. It was bad. But it was thought by medieval apothecarists to be the mixed blood of dragons and elephants who had died locked in mortal combat with one another. Mm-hmm. So medieval apothecarists thought that like in Africa uh, somewhere, dragons and elephants were fighting to the death and the droplets of their blood was were like, combining to create create the the, the dragon's blood resin. Mm -hmm. Today, most dragon's blood is actually calamus resin, Mm -hmm. but it's it's rarely marked which one it is, which is a problem because calamus and dracene have different properties. Mm -hmm. So it's not as much of a problem magically. It's still a red resin and you can use it to represent dragon power and mm-hmm. and sort of the modern magical purpose of dragon's blood, which is usually just sort of power intensifying. Well, it can be protection, purification, power, healing, love, sexual potency. Yeah. But it's you most neo-pagans, I think, use it yeah. as a power intensifier. It is. It is a power intensifier. So that that's an okay use, whether you're getting Dracenai or, or mm-hmm. uh, Calamus resin. Mm-hmm. But it's a problem if you're trying to use it medicinally as mm-hmm. a, in a folk medicine context, which I don't advise anyone no. to do, especially because it's never or very rarely properly marked mm-hmm. because like there's an old folk tradition of using dragon's blood as a coagulant to stop bleeding mm-hmm. but calamus is an anticoagulant so that's not what you want so it will have the opposite of the intended effect and so since dragon's blood is almost never properly marked is what kind of resin it is yeah. don't use it medicinally and i believe dracena is actually the one that is uh, endangered Yes, um, Dracenae cinnabari is, I don't think it's specifically on the endangered list, but it is on the like protected Be- conservation list. Because it's being over-harvested for dragon's blood resin. Not just that. You can, I guess, gather dragon's blood resin without harming the tree, mm-hmm. but it's it's not repropagating mm-hmm. at the speed necessary to recover the loss of Dracenae trees. So right. Calamus is the preferred resin Simply to protect the Simply Dracenae. to protect the Dracenae and all of the ecological effects that the loss of Dracenae mm-hmm. is having uh, in its native environment. Yeah. 
so you can still get your dragon's blood ink. Yeah. You can get your dragon's you just, blood. Yeah, just if possible, you want it to be calamus resin, not draceni yeah. resin for ecological reasons. Yes. But like I said, it's very rarely marked. Most of the dragon's blood on the market now is calamus. But if you see some marked draceni, that's not that's not preferable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's That's the ancient one. Mm -hmm. But it's ecologically problematic right now. But I also, I do love to use dragon's blood resin. Yeah. <laughs> Rannon says that shit, which I assume means uh, mineral cinnabar, is poison, poison. I can't imagine trying to burn it like incense on a disc. Oh, the Romans did way more than try to oh, burn it like you. incense. The Romans did all kinds of shit with mineral cinnabar. <laughs> thinking it was Draceni cinnabari. Because uh, unfortunately, powdered mineral cinnabar and powdered Draceni cinnabari look, same. look pretty much identical. Uh, I would advise not, not using to. dragon's blood in a medicinal Strictly context. Strictly use it as a topical, like for if you're going to dress a candle, mm -hmm. if you're going to make dragon's blood ink. As to an create, incense. To create incense, yeah. that kind of thing. That That's the best use. Yeah. For dragon's blood. But I do think that the the associations magically that we have oh, with God. dragon's blood definitely vibe with the dragon it energy. It definitely so. vibes with dragon energy. I love working with, mm -hmm. with dragon's blood simply because of that that energy. And unlike some other intensifiers, like gunpowder is often used as an intensifier. Mm -hmm. But gunpowder also speeds things up. Dragon's blood doesn't do that. Dragon's no. blood is like just mm -hmm. raw energy added. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because it did have this long history of use um, in a medical context, although I don't advise anyone to use dragon's blood medicinally or to ingest it in any way, it is good uh, in health spells, like mm -hmm. health work spells, especially if you have some kind of blood condition that you need medical intervention on. Don't ingest or use the dragon's right. blood medically, but use it as a spell to support your medical intervention. Yes, Rhiannon says, okay, wait, I just Googled it, and I guess cinnabar isn't as toxic as I thought, at least if it's taken from places where the chances of mercury being in it is low. Unfortunately, most of the places the Romans got it, there was a lot of mercury in it. <laughs> I guess ground cinnabar is a classic in Chinese traditional medicine too. Can't recommend that, but now I'm tempted to buy jewelry made of it. Yes, cinnabar is mm -hmm. dicey. And I think the important thing to remember is if you're someone who practices Chinese medicine, who is trained in individual, they would know how to use it. Yeah. Somebody who's not trained uh, in Chinese medicine. A lot of it comes down to expertise. A lot yeah. of it comes down to expertise. Also, Chinese traditional medicine did include, so, so in Chinese traditional medicine, going way, way back, like to ancient sources, mm -hmm. there are recipes for using ground dragon bone oh. in medicine. And what they pretty sure it actually was, was they were fossilized bones, probably not of dinosaurs, but of like ancient Chinese uh, mammals. Mm -hmm. China has some really robust fossil beds. And so they were like excavating various fossils and being like, all right, that's the bones of a dragon. Ship it out to the apothecarists and they would <laughs> grind it up. And mix it with various other things, and it was used in Chinese traditional medicine. I love yeah. it. So yeah, and yeah, Rannon says, "Eat the dragon, gain its strength." Yeah, yeah, it was it was exactly. considered dragon bones if you could get them were considered to be the philosopher's stone. Like they yeah. would cure pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from from diarrhea to madness. <laughs> yeah. Work with that dragon spirit and mm -hmm. energy, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I've noticed a lot of people are working with dragons now. I see it's a lot a of very things, popular. Yeah, I see a lot of things on Witch Talk about working with dragons. In fact, suggestions on offerings to, to dragons, to dragon dragons spirits. in general, uh, sword, athame, dragon's blood resin, egg-shaped crystals and stones, dragon eggs, dragon statues, whatever offerings your personal dragon likes. Always ask. Always ask. Deviled eggs, dragon fruit, yes. dragon noodles, <laughs> anything with the name dragon, dragon attached, attached to it. it. Rihanna Gray asks, didn't Hakati have a dragon related to her? Are you aware of a dragon? I know she has a relationship to serpents. She does have a relationship to serpents. I think there is some mythology, later mythology, that, that attached her to dragons, um, but I don't I wouldn't specifically say that dragons are... I think that's more of a modern... Like relationship? Relationship okay. of Hakati to dragons. I know she has serpents as Some part of her, her symbology from Greece. But since there were dragons in Greece, you know... Ah, Rhiannon says Medea. She had dragons pulling her chariot. There you go. And Medea is definitely connected to, to Hakati that way. So it's like a three degrees of Kevin Bacon kind yeah, of relationship yeah, to dragons. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I knew there was the snakes because I remember when you first started working with Hakati, you were like, oh, I hate snakes. I snakes. <laughs> I, uh, that's the truth. But I've learned over time of working with She's her to... More chill to with snakes. I've become more chill. Maybe not with real ones, but with... <laughs> energetic serpents. I'm love snake. 
anyway, I think we've pretty much covered as much as we can about dragons. Yes, we will We will have a storytelling episode coming where we'll we tell will. stories about dragons. But the thing in the meantime is if you want to work with dragons, I would caution because I was looking, I want to see some books about working with dragons mm-hmm. that don't have something to do with Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> that can be a challenge. Trying to find dragon information and dra- dragon magic mm-hmm. information that is not either Ursula Le Guin uh, or, uh, you know, D&D. Although, to be clear, I mean, you could probably work with a fictional dragon. That's true. That's true. I was going to say is that there is a book on dragon magic, but it was by DJ Conway. Oh. So I would lot watch out for that and maybe take anything written in that book with a grain of salt. Bucket. You know, bucket of salt. I would so, not take it. Yeah, quite that's, frankly. I saw it and I was like, no. Yeah, I'm no, sorry, I can't. No. I can't do the DJ Conway shit. No, I did once back in the day when mm. she was very popular, yeah. and it was just I was reading it, going, "This doesn't sound yeah, right." No, I can't. I can't trust Conway as far as I can throw yeah, her. So yeah, so no bueno on that. So when you're looking for drag, if you're if and when you're looking to work with dragons, maybe some of the best stuff you're gonna get is from D and D. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there is a whole like dragon pantheon in D and D. Yeah, <laughs> you got Bahamut. Yeah, got Tiamat. But also, there's a lot of really rich mythology. You got the, you got the chromatic dragons. Yep, but the you... metallics. <laughs> All right, stop. Listen, look. I know a lot about D and D dragons. I Leave know me you alone. do. I know you do. Seriously, there's a lot of really rich, interesting mythology in so many different cultures about dragons. And if you want to work with with dragon Mm -hmm. energy, that would be a great place to start. Read some of their mythology. Read about Jorgengander. Read about Apep. Read about the Rainbow Serpent and all these really, really interesting cultural understandings of of dragons. And even do read about, like, like read read The Hobbit. Read the oh god yes you know Smog? like Smaug is a is a, it's a type of Rana, Western dragon. Rana actually says calling on Smaug to hold onto your wealth. Like Smaug has been a cultural mainstay mm-hmm. for decades. Yeah, it's a fictional dragon, but it's a fictional dragon with clout. That's right. Learn mm-hmm. what you can, and mm-hmm. then start incorporating it. Yeah, I feel like if you're gonna reach a dragon, it's gonna be in an astral context. Mm-hmm. Yep, I do too, and I think you'll want to go respectfully. Yeah. Be respectful. And bring gifts. And bring gifts. Lots of gifts. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to call it for that I for this episode. Are. I think All we right. are. You can find us if you Google the number three in the words pagans and a cat or the number three in the letters P-A-A-C. We have a website at threepagansandacat.com. We have... A, a Patreon. Uh, yes, we have a Patreon where you can join at various levels and get various rewards. And remember, in November, there will start to be reviews coming on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. I write sometimes on, on a Patheos Pagan blog. Yep. I have a TikTok. Yep. Oh, we have a Red Bubble. We have a Red Bubble that... where you can buy interesting things. Not that anyone uses the Red Bubble. <laughs> I think the Red Bubble has made a cumulative like 30 bucks in its entire lifetime. Okay, so maybe we need to choose something <laughs> other than Red Bubble. Red Bubble is for merch. Yeah. Free Pagans and a Cat merch. Merch. If you want, if you want if that. You want That's merch. linked on our website. And we're, I guess we're done. I get, yeah. <laughs> This is kind of ending on a weird note. A weird note. So <laughs> I feel like I'm forgetting to say something, but I, I don't know what it is. So I'm just going to sign Google off, I that guess. Shit. Yeah. Goodbye. Just Google it.